Testing, one, two, three. Testing, testing. And welcome to Tyson on Sports, a college football edition. I'm Tyson Whiting. Week one was certainly a lot of fun. There were some great finishes, although I'm trying to figure out, was North Carolina-Appalachian State a football game or was it a basketball game? I mean, after all, there was a lot of runs. You know, it seemed like the first quarter Appalachian State dominated and the second and third quarters North Carolina dominated. And then Appalachian State went on to score 40 points in the fourth quarter, but two unsuccessful two-point conversions turned out to be the difference. And Drake May, who I was really impressed with in North Carolina, come away with the victory as they're now 2-0 and on the season. And we're talking about young quarterbacks that – you know, are going to make a big impact this season. It's not DJ Uelagalele at Clemson. I look at Drake May as being one of the best young quarterbacks in college football, and he's got everything. 6'4", 230 pounds. He can move around well. He's got nine touchdowns, no interceptions through two games. He makes good decisions with the football. And so I think North Carolina, if they can get their defense straightened out, I think they could be a threat to end up uh, winning the ACC. I mean, after all, they got to go through Clemson and a few other teams, but uh, I think North Carolina has looked impressive. And I'm not sure if we're going to see more than five or six games uh, that are going to rival North Carolina and Appalachian State for excitement from start to finish. That was one of the best football games I'd seen in quite some time. I thought the Florida State-LSU game, at least the, the, the final four or five minutes, was about as exciting as you'll see. I mean, it was kind of interesting to see – Florida State fumble right there at the end when they're looking to put the game away. And then LSU, and forget about the extra point, LSU drove all the way down the field, you know, over 95 yards, got the touchdown, and then had the extra point blocked. And it's kind of interesting when you think about the fine line between winning and losing. And really, it's a very thin line. I just asked the University of Utah about that thin line because just a blocked extra point and all of a sudden, you know, that's that's the difference in the game. You know, you play for three and a half hours and it comes down to an extra point that gets blocked. I don't know that Florida State or LSU are going to be college football playoff bound anytime soon. Certainly not LSU. I think Brian Kelly might not be a good fit for that program. But uh, it's um, it was certainly interesting to see week one and some of the fantastic finishes. And I thought Florida-Utah was an outstanding game and, a, and an outstanding finish, although if you're a Utah fan, you certainly don't think so, as Utah dropped from 7th to 13th in the latest AP Top 25 poll. And me and my friends, we always have a running gag about the SEC and the SEC slogan in particular. You know, it just means more. And, uh, you know, when you talk about the SEC, it's kind of funny how many people hate the SEC. You know, I just thinking about in the Utah Grizzlies office, all the people that were rooting for Pac-12 teams over SEC teams and really just rooting against the SEC in general. And LSU was the only SEC team to have a loss as they lost to Florida State by one point. Every other SEC team got a victory. And you think about one and two in the AP Top 25 poll, Alabama, who took care of business against Utah State, they're ranked first in the country. And Georgia defeats Oregon 49-3. to And uh, I, I still think Oregon's going to be a decent team. But uh, Georgia, who simply reloaded. I mean, wasn't it uh, in April when we were watching the NFL draft where it was just one Georgia defensive player after another? There's a couple offensive players mixed in there as well. But you're trying to figure out, okay, okay, you only have three returning starters on defense. How's Georgia going to respond? And they responded beautifully 
as they simply reloaded on defense, it appears. And then Georgia, every time they got the ball, seemed to move it with ease. You know, Stetson Bennett, who may not look very impressive physically, 5'11", 190 pounds, if that. But, uh, you know, Georgia just was an efficient machine against Oregon, and I don't know if there's anything Oregon can do. And even even after seeing that, I still think Oregon might be a decent team. It's just that Georgia is just playing at a completely different level. And, uh, you know, then we started the SEC chance in the office yesterday because, uh, after all, it just means more <laughs> to the SEC. And, really, I think that it's kind of funny when you talk about people that, you know, don't like the SEC, and it just comes down to the SEC chant that fans have after a big non-conference victory. And, uh, you know, just the way the SEC wins and dominates on a week-in and week-out basis. And uh, that's really where you build that reputation. It's not just winning, you know, winning national championships, but it's those big non-conference games. And unfortunately for a conference like the Pac-12, that separates the SEC from the Pac-12. You know, you get Oregon and Georgia will score one for the SEC in a big way. Florida and Utah, and I give credit to both teams for scheduling that game because that's going to be pretty tough. And if you're Florida, you look at Utah as being just about, in all of all the teams in the Pac-12, I think Utah is as close to an SEC team as you're going to get. And so hats off to Florida for scheduling that game. And if you're Utah, that's obviously a tough test against a, a really good Florida team. And I like the fact that teams are able to challenge each other non-conference. So you knew somebody was going to have to lose that game. Um, unfortunately for the fans here in, in the Salt Lake Valley, it just happened to be Utah that uh, came up on the wrong end. And, you know, hats off to both teams. But it's kind of interesting to see just how meaningless the preseason top 25 poll is. As Florida was unranked going into last week's game, and all of a sudden they jumped, they jumped all the way up to number 12 in the country. Utah started out seventh, and you think about the thin line, the, uh, the fine line between winning and losing. That game just came down to the Florida defensive player making a great play there. That was a great catch as uh, Cam Rising threw one down the middle of the field, and I know people are going to you know, talk about Cam Rising and the decision he made there where, you know, at the very least, you got to get yourself a position to kick a, ga a game-tying field goal down 29-26. to 26. But, uh, you know, the Florida defensive player made a great play, and obviously Cam Rising just simply trying to make a play to help his team win. I do think even though Utah lost, and I think I mentioned it last week on the Tyson on Sports College Football podcast, that even if Utah loses, and uh, especially if it's a close loss, as it was against Florida, only losing by three points, on the road, hostile environment, and I think everybody underestimated just how good Florida is. Um, Utah, if they still run the table, they still have a chance. You know, it might be an outside chance, but they still got a chance to accomplish all the goals they want to. You know, you got two easy non-conference games coming up in Southern Utah and San Diego State. You got Arizona State on the road. I mean, that could be a tough game if Arizona State's playing well. Oregon State at home, that should be a win. Utah should be four and one when they head to the Rose Bowl on October 8th against UCLA. So, you know, you're, if you beat UCLA, which Utah has had some success against the Bruins in years past, all of a sudden you're looking at going to, you know, having USC come to Rice-Eccles Stadium. Utah's probably 5-1, and one, and USC, who looked dom dominant against Rice, will we'll, we'll know a little bit more about USC after they play Stanford on Saturday in Stanford. You know, USC could easily be... 6-0 going into that game. 
I think October 15th could be a good chance of ESPN College game day showing up in the Salt Lake Valley. And I know BYU fans were a little bit disappointed that College game day didn't show up in Provo on Saturday for their 8:15 kickoff against Baylor. But, uh, you know, the powers that be over at ESPN decided that Alabama and Texas would be the matchup for ESPN College game day. Texas unranked in Alabama, obviously uh, ranked first in the country. And, uh, yeah, that should be an interesting matchup just to see if Texas can find a way to give Alabama a game. You know, Steve Sarkeesian, even though it's just year two, he might be on the hot seat over in the long in the Lone Star State as, uh, what did he go last year, five and seven? And even though it looked pretty good against uh, Louisiana Monroe, I mean, Texas still has a lot to uh, – uh, they still got a lot, um, a lot to build on. You know, can their freshman quarterback – handle the pressure of playing a great defense like Alabama. I think if you're Texas, you don't even have to worry about winning the game because nobody expects you to win. Can they find a way to at least cover the 20-point spread against Alabama? And if they do, I think people would be impressed and uh, you know could possibly say that Texas is indeed heading into the right direction. Let's look at the AP Top 25 poll here on the Tyson on Sports podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Tyson on Sports. Alabama and Georgia are one and two respectively. Uh, Ohio State is third. They had to really battle against Notre Dame, and I don't think anybody was giving Notre Dame a, a fighting chance going into that game. But the Notre Dame's defense did look strong, and I think they're going to be pretty good in the first year with uh, Marcus Freeman as he replaces Brian Kelly, who's now at LSU. Michigan still trying to figure out who their starting quarterback is, but they defeated Colorado State 51-7. to uh, I think J.J. McCarthy is going to get the start this week. Cade McNamara Got the start against Colorado State as Michigan's going to be playing Hawaii on Saturday. Uh, and then after that, I think Jim Harbaugh's going to pick a quarterback. It's going to be a tough decision because there's really that much of a difference between McNamara and McCarthy. You know, McCarthy's a little bit taller, maybe a little bit more athletic, runs a little bit better. Kate Wires, Cade McNamara, a guy who makes good decisions with the football, a little bit more of a game manager. Uh, McNamara last year was a more accurate passer at 64.2% completion percentage to McCarthy's 57.6. I think it's a tough decision Harbaugh has to make, but I think he's going to end up with McNamara. Now, McCarthy's going to have his say against a bad uh, Hawaii team, and that's where it's tough is, you know, McNamara played well against Colorado State, and there's no doubt that McCarthy's going to play well against a really bad Hawaii team. So then Harbaugh, you know, the decision isn't going to be any easier for him. I think it'd probably be easier for him if one of the quarterbacks got hurt and he just played the other one. But, uh, you know, Michigan looks like they're going to be pretty tough once again this year as, after all, they returned nine starters on offense on a team that ended up going to the college football playoff last season. Clemson's ranked fifth even though they did not play well in the first half against Georgia Tech and really picked it up in the second half. Texas A&M is sixth. They face Appalachian State this week. That's an interesting one as Appalachian State looked like they could – at least scored a lot of points. They had 61 against North Carolina. Oklahoma is ranked seventh. They beat UTEP 45 to 13. They play Kent State this week. Notre Dame's ranked eighth in the country. They host Marshall. And I think one of the more intriguing games, and I'm not just saying it because I live in the state of Utah, but Baylor at BYU. I think it's intriguing for a few things. One, BYU is going to be in the Big 12 uh, either next year or in 2024, depending on what publication you see. Uh, that's going to be a big one for BYU in trying to establish um, what you know what could be a, a really successful season for them. You know they got a tough schedule. Uh, there's a lot of things uh, for BYU that aren't going to be easy. You know because after Baylor they got Oregon and then later on in the schedule they got Notre Dame and Arkansas. 
And, uh, you know, they end the season at Stanford, and Stanford should be improved from last year. Uh, BYU played well against USF, and I was really up, I was actually very upset at USF because I wanted to see a football game and not a bloodbath. You know, Puka Nakua gets the touchdown there on the end around 75 yards, first play from scrimmage, and then after that it was just all BYU. You know, BYU did take their foot off the gas a little bit in the second half. So, I, you know, it's really tough to evaluate that game because it looked like USF did not belong on the same field. Uh, the, the I think what's intriguing about this BYU-Baylor matchup, among uh, other things, is the fact that both offenses are mirror images of each other. Both teams run the ball pretty well, and they can throw it. I think Jeff Grimes, in the time he was in Provo, really was a big influence on how BYU runs things even today. You know, with Aaron Roderick, and Roderick's got that background that goes all the way to Utah a handful of years ago when he was on Kyle Whittingham's staff. And, you know, Kyle Whittingham uh, preaches balance as well. And I think the offenses can be pretty tough when they're balanced. You know, when uh, you can be unpredictable offensively, you know, you can throw on first down, run on first down. You could just about run all your offense because you – really feel confident in your ability both to run the football and throw it when you need to. And uh, I think that that's where it's going to be interesting, the chess match between both teams, because I think when you look at Baylor, you know, they're about the epitome of that balanced offense. You know, especially last year, they ran the ball 572 times and only threw it 365. They actually ran it a lot more than they threw it. They had a 5.4 yards per carry average uh, last season, and they ran the ball pretty well against Albany. And, uh, you know, they've got a pretty decent quarterback in, in Blake Shapin. Um, but, uh, you know, Baylor's going to be a team that uh, is going to rely on that balance. And I think that for BYU defensively, if they're going to have a chance, they're going to need to find a way to, to slow down one of those two things, either the run or the pass. And I think for BYU, it's probably going to be easier to uh, stop the run and to make Baylor one-dimensional. I think that crowd can be, be an impact as well. I mean, you look at the line, I think BYU is actually favored in this game by about three and a half points, and part of that's because of the impact of the crowd. We saw it against Utah last season. We saw it against Arizona State when BYU won 27-17. I think the crowd can certainly be a big impact, especially in a late kickoff, and if BYU gets off to a fast start, that crowd's going to be pumped to say the least, and uh, Baylor is going to have a tough time, uh, you know, communicating on offense, and uh, they might have a tough time moving the football if BYU is able to stop the run or at least slow it down to the point where uh, you force Baylor to be one-dimensional. And last season, you know, it wasn't the case. BYU not only didn't stop the run, but Baylor ran for 303 yards on 47 carries, a 6.4 yard per carry average, and that's where Baylor just dominated the football game and then because they were able to run the ball with success, they were able to throw it off of that in the second half. And uh, so I think BYU, if they want to win the football game, they're going to have to find a way to stop the running game. And I think BYU is also going to need to win the turnover margin. Last season, Baylor was plus 12 in the turnover category. And uh, for BYU, I think they're going to need to find a way to uh, win the plus minus in the turnover margin as BYU was plus 8 in turnovers last season. And we're really not talking about last week's game all that much, you know, when it comes to Baylor and BYU because it's really hard to figure out what each team is. I mean, Baylor dominated against Albany, winning 61-7. to And for BYU, it wasn't much of a test against USF, easily winning 55-20. to So uh, it's really hard to say. Neither team's really been tested yet this year, and that's going to be a heck of a matchup at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. 8-15 is a kickoff, and I think a lot of people – 
were hoping that ESPN College Game Day would show up, but uh, that just wasn't the case. You think back to the top 25, Paul Baylor is ranked ninth in the country, and it'd certainly be big for BYU if they're able to win that. USC is at Stanford, and you think about intriguing matchups in week two in college football. I think USC and Stanford is intriguing because I think USC is that kind of team. They're easily going to be favorites in at least nine games this year, and they're going to be pretty close in the other ones. If USC is able to win against UCLA, beat their rival this year, really you're talking about the two biggest games for USC being at Utah on October 15th and the last regular season game, which should be a tough one, November 26th against Notre Dame, who looks like they got a pretty good defense this year. A USC schedule has really lined up perfectly for them. I think Lincoln Riley's made all the difference. You know, think about the previous head, few head coaching hires, whether it's Clay Helton or Steve Sarkeesian or Lane Kiffin. You know, if you're USC, it's just like, wait a minute, you can get somebody better. You know, you can get the biggest brand name out there. Lincoln Riley not only is young enough to he, that he can relate to the younger players, he knows what's hip in recruiting. He and obviously you got Southern California, and you got the biggest team in Southern California. Uh, you're able to recruit that talent. You're probably able to recruit the best players west of the Mississippi. I think USC is going to be a team to be reckoned with. And I think I said that Utah was a playoff team in last week's edition of the Tyson on Sports College Football Edition. But I think USC might end up being a team that, uh, you know, if, if everything goes well and they end up playing well in their biggest games this season and not have a slip-up against one of the other Pac-12 teams, I think USC might be a dark horse to reach a college football playoffs this season. And I think for the Pac-12, they need something positive because there's been a lot of neg- negativity, especially you know when you're losing the big non-conference games and you're continually missing the college football playoffs. And really financially, you're just behind. And USC and UCLA moving to the Big Ten in a couple of years isn't going to help matters. So even if USC reaches the playoffs, it's not going to matter that much for the Pac-12 uh, because USC is going to be out the door here soon. But uh, USC is the kind of program that has been carrying the Pac-12, certainly throughout its football history. And so without them, Pac-12 certainly is in trouble long term. I think that program like Oregon, Washington, I think the Pac-12 definitely needs Utah to stay and kind of carry the flag for the Conference of Champions. You know, follow me on Twitter, at Tyson on Sports. Let's talk about some of the big matchups in week two, and I'm going to make my list of the five or six biggest games that I see in week two nationally in college football. And I think you almost have to start with the 18, the 8-15 kickoff in Provo, Baylor at BYU. That one's going to be a tough one to pick. You know, BYU's a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I think the home field advantage is certainly going to be critical, and I think the crowd's going to be electric at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, especially if BYU can get off to a fast start. The big question, though, and it was the case last year when these teams met in Baylor. I think the question remains, can BYU slow down Baylor's running game? If they can't, I think Baylor's going to win the football game. And because of Baylor's running game, you know, remember they're breaking in quite a few new running backs. Um, so they don't quite have the same running game in terms of personnel that they had last year. You know, they got a lot of experience in the offensive line. You know, they're projected to start five five seniors. Uh, they, they do have a big offensive line. The question is, can Baylor run the football on BYU? I think they can, and because of that, I think Baylor ends up winning 24-20. to 20. Uh, I think it should be a good game and a, a good test for both teams. But uh, Baylor, I think the, the fact that Jeff Grimes 
uh, knows BYU, knows the personnel, and in particular knows what Elisa Tuiaki wants to do on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, if BYU can't stop the run, I think Baylor's going to win, and because of that, I got Baylor winning 24-20. to Now you could look at the other side and say, well, BYU knows what Jeff Grimes wants to do because BYU pretty much is running the same offense that Jeff, Jeff Grimes ran at BYU. So uh, you, you talk about offenses that are mirror images of each other. Can the home field advantage really make the difference in the game? I think it could, but I do think Baylor ends up winning 24-20. to USC and Stanford should be a fascinating game, and I think that really the fascinating thing is to try to figure out if USC is indeed for real. You know, they did put up 66 points and then three pick sixes against Rice, but then again, that was Rice, and Stanford is a bit of a better better opponent than Rice, even though Stanford struggled last season. I think I got a feeling the Cardinal are going to bounce back and have a good year as they got 10 starters returning on offense and seven on defense from last year. And they got a pretty good quarterback in Tanner McKee. So uh, can Stanford uh, find a way to um, uh, protect home field against USC? That should be a fascinating matchup. And you talk about Heisman candidates. You think about C.J. Stroud at Ohio State. You think about Bryce Young at Alabama. You think about the defensive player, Will, Will Anderson, the stud linebacker at Alabama. But don't forget about Caleb Williams at USC. A guy that had a pretty good second half of the year at Oklahoma, you know, can Caleb Williams play well in USC's biggest games? You know, I think the Stanford game is a big one just because it's on the road. But then you think about October 15th against Utah, October 19th or November 19th against UCLA, and then the following week against Notre Dame. If Caleb Williams plays well in those big games for USC, I could see him being a dark horse Heisman Trophy contender. Other big games I'm looking at nationally, well, at 1.30 on ABC, Tennessee at Pitt. That's an intriguing matchup. Can Tennessee find a way back? As after all, they had a couple tough coaching searches and went 7-6 and six last year. This could certainly be a big game for Tennessee, and I'm looking at this three-week stretch here where Tennessee can really establish themselves as being a program that's going to be back in the right direction. You know, can they win at Pitt on Saturday? Then they got an easy one against Akron at home, and then they got Florida at home on September 24th. We'll know after that Florida game just how good Tennessee is, you know, especially when Pitt is a very physical team, and that should be an intriguing matchup really to see where Tennessee is as a football program. Appalachian State is at Texas A&M. Boy, that's going to be another intriguing matchup. Appalachian State gave up a lot of points, but they certainly scored a lot against North Carolina, so that should be a fun game. And that will that one, I think, is also going to be a 130 kickoff. That should be a high-scoring game, just as last week's Appalachian State-North Carolina game was. Um, it's, uh, quite frankly, it's not the greatest college football schedule. Uh, Weber State is at Utah State in a matchup that I think fans in the state of Utah are going to be intrigued by. Utah State, you know, obviously no, nobody's going to have that but that great of a chance when you, you play Alabama on the road, so... Um, it will be interesting to see how Utah State bounces back against a good FCS team in Weber State. Washington State is at Wisconsin. That's a game here in the Grizzlies' office we pay a little bit of attention to because we've got some Washington State fans uh, that, end up, that are working for the Grizzlies. And I think for Wisconsin, you know, last season they got off to such a tough start because they played Penn State, Notre Dame, and Michigan. That was three of their first four games, and they ended up losing all three of them. They had a pretty good second half of the season when the schedule got lighter. Um, they went 9-4 and four last year, and you know with Wisconsin, it's going to be the same thing every year. It's going to be a big offensive line with a good running game, and they got a pretty good quarterback in Graham Mertz, and even though he had a minus 
touchdown-to-interception ratio. Only had 10 touchdowns to 11 interceptions last year. i got to fill in Graham Mertz, who's only a sophomore, uh, but does have a decent amount of experience that he's going to find a way to uh, improve that Wisconsin passing game, and I think that's going to be a fascinating matchup to see if Washington State can find a way to give Wisconsin a little bit of a game in week two of the college football season. I'm scrolling through Fanatics right now, and it's kind of interesting. You can actually, for the first time ever, pick up current modern-day college football players. You can get a Bryce Young jersey. You know, you can get a, a Jordan Travis Florida State jersey if you want. If you're an Oregon fan, you can even pick up a Bo Nix jersey. And if you're a Florida fan or even if you're a BYU fan who appreciated what Anthony Richardson did last week, you can pick up an Anthony Richardson jersey. And it's kind of interesting that uh, you see these jerseys. It's 139 bucks, so it really it's 140 bucks, and the player gets a cut of the jersey. Uh, you know, the the jersey costs. So it's like if you get a Bryce Young jersey, Bryce Young gets uh, who knows how much, maybe 10 bucks per jersey or 20 bucks per jersey. You can get a Drake May jersey. I might I might just get a Drake May jersey because I'm really high on the North Carolina quarterback. And uh, he's, like, pretty impressive. Only a freshman, but I think he can be every bit as good as Sam Howell, maybe even better than Sam Howell, the uh, former North Carolina quarterback who's starting his NFL career uh, this weekend. So, you know, for the first time ever, it's kind of refreshing to see because, after all, if you want to get a current uh, current day college football uh, jersey, you know, Fanatics apparently is the place to be. But you got to be a big-name program. It's, you know, you can't be – one of these uh, truck stop colleges and uh, and beyond fanatics yet. You know, you got only a certain number of teams. You know, now teams, I guess that's when you can tell that your program's arrived. If you can get a fanatics NIL uh, deal, because you, know, you got Georgia, Alabama, Cincinnati was in the college football playoff last year, and a handful of other ones, you know, Penn State and South Carolina, Tennessee, pretty much most of the SEC, Texas, Oklahoma, Teams like that, Notre Dame, you can get a Notre Dame jersey. Miami, you know, is, is the U finally back? Uh, that's a question that everybody's been asking over the last decade. But with Mario Cristobal, they finally got a head coach where I think the U might actually be back. It's going to be a, a little bit um, of a tough test, uh, but Miami does have a pretty easy schedule. I'm interested in the Week 3 matchup, Miami at Texas A&M. That's going to be a lot of fun. When we come back early next week, we will recap the games. That's going to be on Monday. And then we'll also have a, a second podcast next week previewing week three of the college football season. Until then, I'm Tyson Wadding. It is what it is. The big games this week and my predictions before we go. I got Tennessee beating Pitt. 34-28 is the score there. I got Baylor beating BYU 24-20 with the big key being Baylor and their ability to run the football. If BYU can stop the run or at least slow it down, I think they got a good chance in that football game. But I got Baylor winning that. I got USC defeating Stanford 42-24. to I think USC is back. Utah ends up taking care of Southern Utah pretty good. I don't know, final score probably 49-7 to in that game. I'm really intrigued by Appalachian State and Texas A&M. That should be a high-scoring game. I got Texas A&M. 41-31. to 31. I think Appalachian State will play pretty tough in that game, and that's about it. A couple other interesting college games. I think Wisconsin beats Washington State 38-21. to 21. Air Force hosts Colorado. I got, uh, I got Air Force in that game. Colorado didn't look like they're all that good against TCU, but you never know. 
Uh, Mountain West looks like it's certainly taken a little bit of a hit as of late. Boise State didn't look good last week, and neither did San Diego State. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Week two of the college football season, uh, Alabama, te te Texas. I get Alabama winning 45-17. to 17. I don't think Texas is going to play all that well, and Alabama and Bryce Young are going to show why the Crimson Tide are number one. We'll come back on Monday and recap week two of the college football se season. I'm Tyson Whiting, and it is what it is.